0: As we prepare to hear God's word, let's again just reset ourselves with a prayer for illumination, asking God to open our hearts and minds. Lord our God, between the words that are spoken and the words that are heard, may your spirit be powerfully present. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: This is the reading of Psalm 32. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. While I kept silence, my body wasted away, though my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all who are faithful offer prayer to you. At a time of distress, The rush of mighty waters shall not reach them. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with glad cries of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding, whose temper must be curbed with a bit and bridle else it will not stay near you. Many are the torments of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Before we enter our next part, which is watching a short clip of a movie, I wanted to set this up by saying we're in the second week of a 3 work series on the bad words of Scripture: sin, transgression, and iniquity. These like horrible-sounding words, which I struggle still to say. Transgression, like, does that right? Like, shh, should I say that? So we're going to learn about these words, what they mean, and what relevance they have to our life. So we have this video from the Bible Project, which we're going to see just a clip of about two minutes.
2: Most people assume the Bible has a lot to say about how messed up humans are, and that's true. It's also true that the Bible's vocabulary about this topic sounds odd to modern people, using words like sin, iniquity, or transgression. And so the Bible's perspective on the human condition is often ignored or treated as ancient and backwards this is really unfortunate because through these words the biblical authors are offering us a deeply profound diagnosis of human nature. Iniquity refers to behavior that's crooked, while sin refers to moral failure. And transgression, this is a fascinating word that you for sure haven't used in conversation recently. So let's focus on it for a few minutes. In Old Testament Hebrew, the noun is pesha and the verb is pasha. In the New Testament, the Greek word is paraptoma. They're usually translated as transgression, sometimes as rebellion, and in older translations as trespass. These words refer to ways that people violate the trust of others. Pesha describes the betrayal of a relationship. And since there are many kinds of relationships, a lot of different behaviors can be called Pesha. Like if two nations are in a relationship, we would call that a treaty. And pasha would describe the breaking of that agreement. Like in the biblical book of Second Kings, we read after the death of King Ahab, Moab pashad with Israel. Now, this is usually translated Moab rebelled against Israel. But in biblical Hebrew, you don't pasha against someone; you pasha with them. That is, you break trust with that person. The same idea appears in an Old Testament law about theft. If an Israelite is away on a trip and somebody sneaks into their house and steals something, that's robbery. But if the thief was your neighbor, it's Pesha. Because there's someone you should be able to trust. Or there's a story about Jacob running away from Laban, his uncle. Laban accuses Jacob of stealing some idol statues. He searches all of Jacob's belongings and he finds nothing. So Jacob shouts, what is my Pesha? How have I violated your trust? But the sad irony is that the statues were stolen by Jacob's wife, who is Laban's own daughter. Talk about breaking trust. So, Pesha involves one person or group violating a relationship of trust with another. And this is a really common word in the Bible because it's one long story about a broken relationship between God and the Israelites. At Mount...
0: Alright, so I wanted to stop there because the rest of the video just made my head hurt for the remainder, because there's so much information, so so much good information, and the reason why I wanted to dive into this is because the word sin itself is one of the three words, but it becomes this word that's taboo, and when somebody says it, we might shut down or just be like, oh, that's just that old talk, but the biblical narrative, as as the video said, has this rich understanding of these words that help describe the brokenness of the world and is actually important to our life of faith. And so I wanted to enter into this series, you know, wrestling with these words in order to, um, to help us uh, learn that they're not taboo, but actually helpful. And when we are directed toward acknowledging some of the things that... Um, are broken in the world, we as Christians always have the hope of being directed to the way that God deals with them and the way God is mending those broken parts of the world back together. So um, this week, uh, we're, we're focusing on, on the word transgression, which in Hebrew, as you uh, heard, is pesha, and in Greek, paraptoma. Actually, they probably don't have to roll the R like that, but it's just so fun to do. Um, but the word pesha literally means break trust with. And if you were listening pay attention, um, the three things that I caught uh, where trust could be broken is between humans. So to break f- trust with a friend, a co-worker, a sister, a brother, a parent. The second is between two nation states. So maybe a nation breaking a treaty or some compromise that they had come to. Third, The third thing is humans and God, either an individual breaking trust with God or a community breaking trust with God. Trust is the gold standard of the relationships that that we have uh, with one another and with God. It's the foundation, and perhaps even more so than communication, I don't know which one's first, is, is integral and value to the relationship. And without it, things can break down really quickly. If you don't believe me, then perhaps you've never attempted to, like, watch a TV series with another person before, right? So, so what I mean by this, i uh, give me an example. In college, um, my then-girlfriend at the time and I decided to watch Grey's Anatomy <laughs> together, episode for episode, right? That was until, uh, by the way, this was like the pre-Netflix days where you had to go to the library and get all the DVDs, um, and then you'd, like, come back and watch them all and, like... Anyway, so uh, watching Grey's Anatomy, and then one day after work, I, I go over to her house, and she has this look on her face uh, that doesn't spell good news, and she says, look, I had a rough day, and I just sat down and watched the whole third season by myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my heart sank, and my fears are realized because she watched the whole thing without me. And it was awful. It was awful. I, I, I felt so betrayed that the Third season actually was actually fully ruined for me, and um, not only that, but I, I stopped watching the show at that point. Which actually, I just couldn't stand Meredith, the main character. So in some ways, it wasn't that great of a loss anyway. But my hurt—I'm still hurt, and my trust is still broken. Trust is important. Trust is important, and so it's—it's it's no wonder that. In the Bible, it's used as a word and an important descriptor of the ways things have been gone wrong. And so as we explore broken trust and its impact on us for both the ways that we've experienced hurt because somebody's broken our trust, and also for the ways in which maybe we've broken trust with others, um, we'll also point ourselves to Jesus who comes to heal us from the hurts and direct us to a, a good vision of being trust makers. As we, as we enter our time thinking about this word pesha, transgression, I wanna consider the story of David. Now David is uh, one of the most famous characters in all of Israel's history. He is a king, but when we meet up with him in this story, he's just this simple shepherd boy, the youngest of all his brothers, who's coming in from the fields back home with his sheep, and there standing is one of God's prophets named Samuel, who has come to anoint one of uh, his family to be king. And he chooses David out of all the other brothers. And he chooses David because, well, he was, he was uh, glowing in health and quite a good-looking guy, uh, as the Bible says. But more importantly, because it says that, that he was a man after God's own heart. He loved and sought after God. And so he was anointed king, and David becomes this great warrior, and you perhaps recall the story of David and Goliath, right? And, and David's story of Goliath is kind of like a metaphor for his whole work as a king, this warrior that, that takes this nation of Israel, this small nation, and makes them into this power. It's able to stand up and defend itself amidst all the other major forces in the area. He helps them prosper as a king. He makes them wealthy, and times are good under David. Everyone loved David. And did I mention that he played the harp? He's quite the harpist. He was loved. But, but David was human. And at some point, David failed. And his story has a very long, horrible saga of Pesha. David's fall happens one day when uh, the nation of Israel has gone out to war, because it's that time of year. And he walked out onto his porch, and he's gazing at his wonderful city and and land. And as Leonard Cohen put uh, pretty well, he saw her, Bathsheba, bathing on the roof, and her beauty in the moonlight overthrew him. And he had his servants bring this woman, Bathsheba, to him, and he slept with her. Now, if Bathsheba refused David's invitation, she could be put to death. So the subtlety of this story is the wickedness of David using his power to force this woman to have sex with him. But that's not bad enough. Bathsheba becomes pregnant and David needs to find a way to cover this all up. So he thinks up a plan and he has Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, who's this Incredible warrior, part of the elite command of David's army, come back from the front lines. And when Uriah comes back, David says, Uriah, you are one of my special forces officers. You're such a great soldier. Take some time for yourself. Go spend the night with your wife. But Uriah, unlike David in this story, is a man of honor and integrity. No! I won't go and do that when my brothers are at war. In fact, I will sleep outside your door, my king. And David says, Great, one of these guys, one of these heroes. So David tries again. He gets Uriah drunk and says, Why don't you go home? But Uriah just pulls up another blanket outside of David's door and snuggles up for the night. And it gets worse. It gets worse when David then writes a letter to the commander of his army, and he goes, Dearest Joab, send Uriah into the heaviest fighting and then pull back your troops, leaving Uriah alone and vulnerable, and then send me word when he is dead. Thanks, bro. And after writing this letter, he hands it to Uriah, and Uriah is then to go and deliver this to the commander Joab. And I imagine, I can't imagine what Joab was going through when he receives this letter, reads it, and then has to look back up into Uriah's eyes, a brother and great warrior, before sending him out to his fate, which he does because refusing an order like this from the king could have gotten him killed. And so the abuses of power are stacking up all over the place, all because of his own selfish action. Some king he is, Because David's heart is wrapped and warped with this love and lust for a woman and his desire to only save himself. Do you see the Pesha? The broken trust destroying the relationships? How he broke trust with Bathsheba who had him as a king but used his power in such a wicked, horrible way? Can you imagine the damage and the horrors that it caused to her? Not to mention the fact that she was left thinking, this is the guy that is going to be the father of this child? How about Uriah? He trusted David and honored him with everything, and for that, he was stabbed in the back. And what about Joab, the, man, the commander of the army, who had to have been sick to his stomach to get that letter? And can you imagine being a ruler in this army and wondering if this king was going to put your head on the chopping block next? It is an extreme story, but it exemplifies the unfortunate reality of living in a broken world where we, like these men and women, have all been victims of people who broke our trust. More than just watching TV episodes without us. And maybe your, your trust was broken when someone said they'd show up and they didn't, or come to those important events and they didn't, or promise to be there when you needed them most, or there was an unwritten promise of not screwing the other person out of a business deal, or that your friends wouldn't make a fool of you, or that vows would be kept. There are so many ways in which your trust has been broken, and I want to say that, that it's okay to cut someone out of your life when there's repeated offenses of this, and the person has shown no desire to make any change whatsoever. And I also want to say that it's, it's good when, and honorable when you can go through the hard work of, of inviting someone to earn your trust back. But what I want to speak to is, is the work that we need to do sometimes to go through the hurt. Because if we don't address the hurt, we feel it's tearing us apart and doing awful things to us. The wounds of hurt can produce scar tissue that builds and builds and builds, making our hearts harder and harder and harder, and shielding us from the world so that we never have to feel that pain again. And so our hearts become hard and like walls that we hide behind, and we learn how to provide for ourselves so that we never have to trust anyone, or perhaps worse still, we become so callous that we don't care if if we are breaking trust with others. Perhaps worst of all, when we are hurt because our trust is broken, we can project this onto God. We can project this and take experiences that we have with other people and think that that's how God is and the way God deals with us. And we try to see evidence to confirm that view. And like me, after my girlfriend watched that season of Grey's Anatomy, It just torpedoed me, and I never wanted to go back and watch another episode. Broken, broken trust can sabotage us in the worst of ways. And so, part of healing is to ask, "How has broken trust impacted how you act?" But David's story is not finished. After this horrible series of events, one of, one of uh, God's prophets comes to David and tells him a story. He says, David, there is this rich man who has many flocks and goats and sheep and all these living things, and uh, there's also this poor man who just has this one lamb, and he loves this lamb, and this lamb he raised from a little baby, and the lamb comes in his house, plays with his kids, eats at his table, and lies next to him in the floor at night. He loves this lamb. And one day there's this this guest that comes to the rich man's house and what happens is the rich man then looks at the poor man's lamb and says, hmm, I'm going to take that and kill it and I'm going to roast it and give it to this guest. And so he does. David says, outrageous, this man deserves to die. To which this prophet says, Don't you get it, you blockhead? That's you. You are the man. And because of this, God has said that your days will be marked by division in your own house and your heart will ache for the consequences of what you have caused to happen. And at that moment, David sees it. He sees it all. The consequences of what he's done. And he weeps loudly. We're not kings and rulers and things like that, and I'm pretty sure we haven't done the crazy things that David did. But the truth is that we have all been trust breakers in our life, whether we did it intentionally or not. We all, Pesha, breaking trust with people, not coming through with coworkers or family members, letting a friend down, hurting those we love. Pesha happens. And we can be the reason for broken relationships or hurts. We've all been hurt by broken trust and we've also been trust breakers. But the good news, the good news that I want to point us to because we're never without hope is that we live in a world ruled by a trustworthy God who is healing this world and mending the brokenness and leading us to be trust makers. If you continue down with the, the, the video, you'd again eventually get to a good part where it talks about what Jesus does. And there's this quote from Paul's letter to the Romans where Paul uses the Greek word uh, for trust-breaking, paroptima, in this way. Paul writes this. If death came to all by the paroptima of one human, he's talking about Adam, the first man, How much more will God's gracious gift overflow to many by the means of a human, Jesus Christ the Redeemer? How much more will God's gracious gift overflow to many through him? We've all had our trust broken, and the prescription is to find a way to trust again. We've all been trust breakers, and we need to see a good vision of how and why to be a trustworthy person. And so for that, God offers himself to us in Jesus, the full measure of God's unfailing love so that we might find that healing for our hearts and that good vision for trust-making. And I want to submit to you a common story that many of you know, the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus is traveling down and around all these towns and he, he's out in the wilderness one day. There's not much around and all these people are following him because they, they love his teachings and they, they know that he's a healer and they trust that there's something good going on in him and his life. And after a while, it gets dark and the disciples say, well, it's getting dark, Jesus. We should send people home so that they're able to go and get something to eat. Fair request. But Jesus says, you give them something to eat, all the while knowing the trusting act that he's going to do. And what he's going to do actually takes a lot of trust for him as a human. His aim is to feed the whole crowds of people, 5,000 men, not including the women, so it's probably like 30,000 people there that day. He wanted to feed 30,000 people with only five loaves and two fish that are brought forward. And the miracle takes a lot of trust in Jesus that God, the Father, will provide this through the power of the Holy Spirit for those who are counting on Him and trusting Him with His well being. And as He breaks the fishes and the loaves, He invites the disciples into an act of trust by going and sharing all this with the people. And the doubts of the disciples are rewritten into trust through their amazement that all are fed. That's the story. Jesus is not David who fails to be a human and fails to use his power well. Jesus is what it looks like to be fully human and to use power in such a beautiful way to offer life and healing and hope. And so we've all been hurt by trustbreakers, but Jesus, as, as God and as human, invites us to himself to find healing that we need, to find that he can and will provide that and restore our hearts by breaking through that scar tissue. Jesus invites us time and time again to relearn trust in a relationship with him. Because it's not easy and it takes time to move out from behind the walls of our hearts. And as we begin to make our way in a world, a world that that is broken, and sometimes we will continue to have our trust broken, Jesus is our foundation that holds us and keeps our hearts hopeful and open rather than hard and closed off. But more than that, Jesus wants to rewrite the habits of how we've been trustbreakers and to lead us something different. And I think that like David, we have to first become aware to the ways in which we've broken people's trust and I think we need to find out about, about the impact of this. The way we've hurt people, let people down. And as a good friend uh, once said to me, Change and spiritual growth comes with courageous steps of increasing our pain tolerance. And maybe it takes the courageous step of realizing the ways in which we've heard people to, to instigate true change. But in becoming real to these things, we, like the disciples who did, who did the strange and faith-walking task of, of picking up baskets to share the endless feast, we embrace the new reality of how we use what we have in our lives, in our baskets that God has given us, in our talents, our hearts, our minds, our jobs, our everything, to build trust with others. And maybe this means doing the hard work of gaining trust back that we previously lost, and it could also mean setting the gold standard of trust for every relationship we enter into. But in all, may God's Spirit abide in you for what you have need of today. May God's Spirit be the balm for your wounds that need healing. May God's Spirit lead you beyond your Pesha, and may you grow in Christ's own likeness. Let's pray. Spirit, come into our hearts, our lives. May you search out the wounds that need your loving care inspire our lives and our days with your wisdom that we see in your son, Jesus. All this we pray in his name. Amen.